Would you please be seated and turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. What we're going to do this evening is read the first seven verses. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the back of your order of worship. And so here we come to uh, Babylon. Uh, This morning we sort of uh, looked at uh, what was the impetus for where we find Daniel this morning. And so we ask, how do we get here? Well, Israel has been divided into a northern and a southern kingdom. And already the northern kingdom has been taken off, carted off by the Assyrians. And what we're left with is Judah. And so what's happening here, this Babylonian captivity is towards Judah. And you might have expected that Judah, having seen the northern kingdom disappear into Assyrian uh, captivity, that they would have been uh, at least understanding that God is serious about His instruction and His warnings and His judgment that you would have expected that Judah might say, let us repent and let us return wholeheartedly to the Lord. But that's not what we find. We mentioned this morning that in Isaiah 39, we see Hezekiah shows off his wealth to the Babylonians that came to greet him. And he was told by Isaiah that your kids, your children would be carted off and your treasures would be plundered from the temple of the Lord. And so here we arrive at 6.05 in the book of Daniel, the first of three series of ex, uh, exile that's going to take place. And Daniel is the first with, we'll call him his, uh, his, his other buddies, his three friends that are carted off into Babylon. And so this is, this is the context in which we find ourselves in these first seven verses. And uh, we can ask ourselves, how will they fare in such a land? I want you to understand, as I told the children, that this book really is about the sovereignty of God. That this book really expresses as its main theme that God is sovereign over the kings of this earth. And that's going to play out through the entire book, even the prophecy sections. This morning you might ask, what does this book have to do with us? Brothers and sisters, we also in some sense find ourselves in a situation in which we're in exile. Which you feel, uh, even now, uh, some sense that we live in Babylon. We're going to flesh that out as we go through these first seven chapters. What does it look like to live in Babylon? What does it look like? Well, our main understanding is that you live, yes, in, in a world that's hostile towards God's people and towards the Gospel, Yet we have a God that is sovereign. Can I pray before we start? Our gracious God, we thank You for the Word that You set before us. A Word, Father, that has um, immense, uh, immense things to teach us about You. We thank You, God, that You're not a changing God. That what You're doing in the book of Daniel is not a different God than we see in all other passages, but what You show us is that You're the same sovereign God that has worked from the beginning of the world to revelation. God, we thank You that You have shown us the beginning from the end. And so, would You teach us this evening to know You better and what it means to live in in faith and walk in the understanding that You rule and reign over our hearts and over all things. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me read God's Word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. At the beginning, at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. And Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. This is the word of the Lord for His people. Amen? This evening, as we uh, approach this passage, we will see, as our sermon is titled, that there is a God in Babylon by examining two points. Our first point is God is sovereign. And our second point is being a believer in Babylon. First, God is sovereign. We, we begin with, so what? To what degree does it matter to you in this room that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it? But Daniel is a, a timeless story. It has everything to do with you. It's a piece of a puzzle, if you will. The beginning of God's Word to the end of Revelation that gives us a glimpse as you piece it together with the rest of Scripture, a glimpse of the way God works in this world to preserve His people and to ultimately bring them to a glorious end. Spoiler alert, Revelation, the book of Revelation, loves the book of Daniel. You might think it funny that what was used in the language here in these opening verses that God says He would preserve His people hardly seems the right word to use when the enemy of Judah can walk in to God's country, if you will, to the land promised to the Israelites, besiege their city, and cart off whomever and whatever He pleases. One might read this opening verse and say, I know who the stronger one is. The stronger one has won the day. And Nebuchadnezzar has seemingly done whatever he wants. You see, Nebuchadnezzar can do it all over everywhere his feet goes. He can take cities. He can take kings. He can take men and women and children. And he can rob the temples of any god that he so chooses. Nebuchadnezzar might say, I live and I move and I have my being because of the strength of my arm. But there is a subtle word in these first couple of verses that should grab us 
that should arrest your heart this evening. Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Don't let your eyes drift over this glimpse of God. If you miss the word gave, you miss the trajectory not only of this whole book, but of the whole of Scriptures. Whatever appearances we may see concerning God's power in this world as you see kings and presidents and rulers do as they please, we have over and above this, God as the centerpiece and His sovereignty as our comfort. And did and Daniel and his friends, uh, you find we're not going to get to it in this passage, what it looks like next week. We'll get to that as they begin to live in Babylon. Did they ever need to hear this? That God... Uh, is sovereign and rules even over them. Why? Because they've lost their homes. They've lost their families. They've lost their friends. They've lost their temple. They have lost their customs. And they are firmly in the hands of a man who can do whatever his heart desires to them. But remember who penned this? Daniel. Daniel in exile. Much like the psalmist who asks, God, where can you be found? God, do you hear me? Are you even there? Yes! Daniel pins it. He, he knows it. That yes, Nebuchadnezzar looks awesome in his strength, but it is God who gave us over to Him. God is sovereign. He is everywhere, Daniel basically expresses here. And it's no doubt That Daniel has fallen in a hard providence of God's arm. He's found himself uh, in the providence of God that uh, must feel like crushing. And in some sense, that's what it is. It's, It's judgment upon Judah as it was judgment upon Israel that they are taken because they have disobeyed God and His words. Do you, this evening, with confidence, know that God is sovereign? Sovereign over anything that you're going through. Any burden that you feel. Maybe you're under the hardest burden that you have ever had to bear. Maybe you find yourself in a hard season in which you have to wonder out loud, God, do You have any regard for me? Daniel's the book for you. Daniel and his friends must not be surprised at this hard providence. God told them. He warned them. Not just in the exile, of the northern kingdom. But He told them way back when Moses penned Leviticus 26. He told them, listen to Me. Understand what I'm telling you. If you obey Me, it will go well for you. But if you disobey Me, you're going to lose everything. It has started in 605 with the aim, I think, of God turning His people back to Him in faithfulness by sending them off under His hard chastisement as they feel the burden and the weight of their sin. And so you really see what is being stated then in the small word gave. Is that God, just as He promised through the prophets, 
just as He revealed through His actions that He is a God that keeps every promise that He keeps, both in judgment and in discipline and in salvation. Where does that leave His people? Where does that leave us? It leaves us this evening with what God reveals about Himself. At no point has God ever abdicated His sovereignty over this earth and over His people. And He has given us His Word to show us not merely Himself and His power, but the very way of salvation. His Word is life for us tonight. The prophets lay before us the plan of God who knows point A to point B to the very end because He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and He is the end. And we do best when we search His Word and ask, what does this teach me about God? And what duty does this require of me? And Nebuchadnezzar can strut all he wants with his precious plunder and his place uh, where he puts it in the temple with his gods. But God laughs and looks upon the kings of this earth and He will humble any people who do not worship Him in His reign and His rule. There's a warning in this passage for us. We see that God doesn't take lightly the sins of His own people. And His wrath is revealed that He would allow His own precious children to feel the weight of it. He gave them over, I believe, so that they might feel the weight of their guilt and then hear. Hear the pleading of God to turn back to Him and trust that His sovereignty means even in what might seem an impossible position from a human perspective to understand. Where is God's sovereignty in the midst of my troubles? That God is working out something marvelous. It isn't the last time that everything hangs on that word in verse 2, God gave. Our very salvationist world hangs on God's sovereignty over the present evil. John 3.16 For God so loved the world in His sovereignty this world He rules over that He gave His only Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, held in the balance the same as the opening, He's both a God of judgment and a God of salvation. And there would be perishing, yet God gave in His sovereignty His own Son, that His Son might bear our sins that we might be victorious over the enemy of sin and death and Satan. God gave over His Son. And it often seems like folly from a human perspective. God giving something over is that He might receive. He does it so that He might, that he might receive something back more glorious. 
It seems like folly that He would give His precious people over to a wicked nation that serves wicked gods in Babylon. What's He doing? Well, that's going to play out before us. It might seem folly that God would give His Holy One, His Son, over to wicked men who would spit upon Him and would hang Him on a criminal's cross. It is folly to the watching world. But it is the wisdom of God at work and His sovereignty playing out for His people. Oh, how sovereign the arm of God worked over the crucified Christ who was put in the grave and raised Him. It's Christ who was raised to breathe again and was raised ultimately up to His throne in heaven where He reigns and He rules. There's good news in this passage, uh, isn't there, that Daniel and his friends did not perish? Think on what a profound comfort it is that even in the midst of Babylon, God has preserved the life at least of these four men. Oh, how tightly God holds on to what is His. How do we hold on to Him? His sovereignty is a key aspect of our faith. Set your foundation on God's strong arm and you will never be dismayed. Look upon the Son that He gave over that we may have life. So naturally, that's what's being revealed, this theme of sovereignty. And our first point, God is sovereign. Our second point now is being a believer in Babylon. Have you ever been in the hard providence and thought to oneself, this is unfair. I mean, if anybody could write that, it would be Daniel. Daniel, who is presented to us as this godly man. There is no way God is loving me right now, he could say. It's much easier to grumble and suffering and question whether God loves me than when we walk in this life like it's a walk in the park. But I wonder... If some of the purpose of suffering is to do the opposite. When things aren't peaceful. When things aren't the way that we would want them to be easy. We find ourselves thinking about God's providence and enjoying uh, growing closer to Him as we're crying out, God respond. God hear. You see, the, the difficulty causes us to seek fast after someone who could do something about our situation. I would bet that in times of hardship, our prayers are rich and deep and saturated in the Word of God and that we might find ourselves in times of peace praying a little less, trusting a little less. We will see that these devout believers would rather die than forsake their God. They teach us an awful lot about what it means to be a believer in the midst of Babylon. An unyielding trust in God. Nebuchadnezzar, in these last verses, it says he took the treasure of the temple to his country and got straight to work making these men Babylonians. He chose those who were without blemish, verse 4, good-looking, smart, and filled with wisdom, quick learners, and began training in them in all things Babylonian. And they were to learn the language and learn the gods and the foods and the culture with one goal in mind from Nebuchadnezzar's standpoint. To forget 
who you were in Judah and to forget your God. Forget your God because I conquered Him. Forget your rules that He had for you. Even forget your names. In fact, He says, forget your names. Here are some new ones. In fact, if you were uh, to think of the famous names in uh, the book of Daniel, I bet you'd go Daniel. And then because it was just ingrained in us, you could say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It might be because you grew up on VeggieTales. I don't know. But somewhere along the line, we lost the names, the real names of these brothers, right? As a staff, we were talking about this chapter coming up, and we said, we, we as a staff are going to reclaim these names. We're not going to forget who these men were in the midst of Babylon. How many of you could name them? Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, names that carry deep meanings, names that were given to them as they were born. Daniel, which means God is my judge. But Babylon renamed him. May Baal protect you. May Baal protect you, the God of, the God of Babylon. And with Hananiah, which means Yahweh has been gracious, he was renamed to Shadrach, which means the command of Aku, as if to say, you're no longer under that God. You're now under the God of Aku or Mishael, which is to mean who is what God is. They renamed him Meshach, who is what Aku is, or Azariah. Yahweh has helped to Abednego, servant of Nebo. You see, what's being expressed here in these passages is they inundate them with all the culture of Babylon and all the gods of Babylon. They even change their names. That Babylon wants all of you. I want your very identity to be of this kingdom, and now you see it, don't you? Babylon's just an outworking. An outworking of this ever-present kingdom of this world. You see, Satan is at work to bring the people to forget the words of God, to bring the people to further mar the image of God by casting aside every vestige of your relationship to Him. Listen, this is the old serpent that has worked since the garden who tempted Adam and Eve to cast aside God and to live as they desire to question His sovereignty and His, His Word and to believe the lie. And that old serpent has not changed the way he works works in this world. He's doing it here in Babylon in 600 B.C., but He works even now in the same way. This is why this is a book for the ages. We now presently live in Babylon. And we want to redeem the names of people like Daniel. God is my judge in Hananiah. Yahweh has been gracious in Mishael. Who is what our God is. And Azariah, Yahweh has helped because there is a name upon us that captures all of us. Those were their precious names. And brothers and sisters, as you live in Babylon now, there is a precious name that is upon you. The name of Christ Jesus. You bear the name of Christ. You are a Christian. And we don't get a sense yet of how these men will fare in Babylon, but the rest of the books lets us know they were faithful to not forsake their God even in the most hostile of situations. I want to encourage you to the same end.
What does it look like to be a believer in Babylon? This world says nobody wants to hear about your religion. They tell us if you speak God's truth, that it's hate speech, that it's unloving, that you would do better to just keep your mouth shut. And this world demands that you accept her doctrine and that you quiet your mouth. She tells you Sundays are just a matter of convenience. In fact, the culture demands you accept that. That it demands you give anything and everything your time except Sunday worship. That it thinks you're crazy that you would give up the fullest weekend and sit and go and do something that has you sitting down and hearing this message when there's so many other things you could be doing. The world thinks you're crazy. Babylon does not want you to gather around with other believers and hear the very voice of God as His Word is read and preached. In fact, the culture insists it's good. Culture demands this. Your speech. Your speech matters. The Lord tells us this. We went over this in James. The world tells us that we can speak and we can talk however we like and that we can consume whatever we want. How do we live in Babylon? Well, it's to know our Lord. And to know what it is that the Lord tells us in His Word on how it is that we are to live. Remember, I asked the question, what does this teach us about God? And what does this teach us about our duty? That know this. Even in the suffering church where they have to hide in basements or wherever they're hiding, or in places where their villages are under threat of being burned to the ground, even in the midst of that destructive Babylon, or here, where the culture demands that we change everything about ourselves. That what Daniel teaches us that even in Babylon, you can draw close to your God. We can be sure to keep Babylon from indoctrinating us with her culture and her gods. But you must keep guard over your soul. You must pray. We must encourage each other. Encourage each other in truth. Encourage each other in knowing when one is down or one is wandering or one is away from our midst. We may encourage each other by going to the Word. I encourage you to watch over your own homes. Be careful what you watch and what you take in and what you consume. Be careful what's being taught to your children. Be careful what the world is pressing in on them as if this is truth. Be careful to know and understand what God's Word says and what He sets before us. And be sure of this. Babylon will fall. Did you know that this kingdom, we would barely even 
know about it if the Bible hadn't mentioned it. There's literally nothing left of it. It is a mist in the wind. Seventy years this great kingdom lasted. We wouldn't even know about it. And so it goes with the kingdoms of this world. So we arrive in Revelation, and he describes this whole world as the kingdom of Babylon. It will fall. Why? Because we have a sovereign God that rules and reigns over every kingdom of this earth. And as the culture presses in, as Babylon presses in, remember your God reigns and He rules. And He gave His own Son as the purchase of all those that would be a part of this everlasting kingdom. Good news? So I pray that you learn to live in Babylon when you see that that kingdom is fated for doom because you live in a greater kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, in a city that will never fall, in a place where the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Amen? Let's pray.